0: you'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.
1: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
0: My diaspora story, that's a tall order, but I will tell you a song. I grew up with my white family in the American South. There weren't any other Samoans around, so I didn't grow up knowing much of my culture
2: other
3: than summer visits to the island.
4: It taps into a deep seated knowledge that
2: I don't belong here. I don't belong there. It is my destiny as part of the diaspora to always be on the go and to carry my home on my shoulders with me. As I've grown up and learned more about myself, I feel more and more connected to that side of me,
0: and I love to explore more about it. And has a melody that transports me to my enchanting country. It just feels like home. And
4: in the song, there's also a feeling of longing and of affection towards our different homes.
3: It's Notes from America, I'm Kai Wright, and happy Labor Day weekend. It is the unofficial end of summer, sadly, if you ask me, and that means it's time to wrap up the second annual Notes from America summer playlist project. So I'm joined once again by our producer, Regina DeHir. Hey, Regina. Hi, Kai. So you've been asking listeners to share songs that represent their personal diaspora stories all summer, and you've been taking those submissions and creating Spotify playlists that listeners can stream.
5: Yes, we've made three playlists so far, and they're available to stream right now at wnyc.org slash playlist. They are really special, so listeners, if you missed it, go check it out. I'm adding our final submissions this weekend, And so Kai, I thought it'd be cool to get one from an actual songwriter.
1: My name is Lolade. I'm originally from Nigeria, but I have
5: lived in Ohio. I've lived in Philadelphia and Houston is my home now. Lolade performed live for us during our special Juneteenth broadcast from Houston. And when I checked in with her and told her about this playlist project, she immediately thought of one of her own songs and it fits this project perfectly. (laughs) I uh, wrote a song called Immigrant
1: Song. It's one of the very first songs that I ever um, got professionally recorded. And that song, as much as it's about me and the perspective that I have on, you know, just being an immigrant in this country, it's more based around, I would say, my parents. The chorus of the song um, talks about these hands hands, hands. and I got that visual in a dream actually and um, I just saw a vision of really worn hands Uh, my mother you know she had to work as a, a beautician and she worked with her hands and I know a lot of people coming to this country from other places, you know, end up doing manual labor and they have to literally and figuratively carry so much in their their hands.
5: In the bridge, Lalade sings, there's a fire in my bones, a piece of home, Africa. I count the days until we're together again. And as a child of Ghanaian immigrants myself, I take that two ways this constant yearning i feel for the place i felt the most like home Mm. and also it's part of my identity it's a fire within me it's a thing that makes me me
3: yeah i love all of Lilate's music actually and honestly listeners if you didn't catch our juneteenth special do go dig around in our podcast feed to hear her incredible performances in that show So, Regina, you've added Lolade to our playlist, and I know you've got more listener submissions to share with us this week, but I just want to name the point of this project quickly. You know, it's been a way to talk and to learn about all the incredible cultures and all the incredible experiences that we as Americans, as people living in these United States, carry around with us. So that's what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. And alongside the listener submissions, you've been talking with musicians and with cultural historians about some of the identities that have come up. You've got one more of those conversations to share with us this week, right?
5: Yeah, that's right. I wanted to talk with someone whose relationship to a particular diaspora is complicated. What happens when you're living in the U.S. as an immigrant and you're seen as part of a diaspora, but for you, it's not quite a fit?
2: My name is Nodia, and I am a Garifuna woman.
5: Nodia Mena is a former lecturer of Spanish in the Department of Languages, Literatures, and Cultures at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. She's currently completing her doctorate there, and she gave a TEDx talk a few years ago about her background as a Garifuna person, born in Honduras, who is living in the United States. Have you ever heard of the Garifuna people, Kai?
3: I have, but only in the most surface way, if I'm honest.
5: Well, the Garifuna are a mix of the indigenous people of the island of St. Vincent in the Caribbean and enslaved Africans from Spanish colonial ships that wrecked on the island. But in 1797, British colonizers expelled the Garifuna from their home in St. Vincent and sent them to Honduras as a punishment to the Spaniards who claimed it. Now, as Nodia remembers it, that history was never taught to her in schools. But she describes the way the Grifuna communities have preserved their own culture over the generations.
2: I was about five or six years old, and I remember my grandma made me this flower print skirt. And it was really wide, right? And then this red top. And my grandma was part of a club, El Club de los Tigres. Uh, That was a very popular club. And when I tell you about a club of Garifuna women who dance, think about a sorority, right? So these women would come together and they will organize and they will have their um, dress, which is called La Valeria, uh, because it was flower prints and the very colorful and you will you will see happiness all around, right? From the way they dress to the way in which they act and dance and so on. So it was La Feria. Uh, La Feria, it translates to the fair. But it was this La Feria de San Juan. And um, my grandma took me with her to um, not only to watch her dancing, but also for me to be part of the event. And that's the reason for which I remember, because not only did the event took over my mind because I was engaged with it but it's also my body, right? Like Listening to drumming for me is like when I cannot not dance to the drumming, to the beats of a drum whenever I hear it. And it, it takes me back to that particular moment. So punta, the dance, our dance that's what represents for the different people. Punta is a dance that is performed by you know moving your your body from side to side to the rhythm of the drum. And what happens is that the drummer uh, as they are playing, they play the drum but they are also communicating with the dancer and the rhythm that they play is basically dictated by the movement, of the body of the person who's destined to that rhythm, and uh, you know, people um, use the the tip of their feet, you know, and then they move their. Um... Ay, Dios mío, las caderas! <laughs> Flew the name away from my mind. The, uh, your hips, you move, you move your hips to the rhythm of the garawon, the drum. Garawong is the name of the drum in Garifuna. So that's what it is. Right, you're just swaying your body to the rhythm of the drum. And communicating with the drummer as well at the same time.
5: And how was uh that represented in Honduras growing up? Were it, was it embraced by all people? Was it particularly at uh Garfuna events, all the above?
2: It's it's interesting that you asked that question because there there were periods of time where Punta was Stigmatized, right? Because it was associated with uh, being vulgar and uh, just black people do those things. Like that's, there is no way that it could be uh, dignified because it's coming from a group of people who are not necessarily part of the national identity of this country. And then, I don't know if you have heard of Lavanda Blanca and Sopa de Caracol. Lavanda Blanca was a group of musicians from Honduras who were all Latinos, Latinos, and um, they basically performed this song, which is a Garifuna song, Sopa de Caracol, and um, they became super duper famous internationally for singing this song.
4: This was back in 1991,
5: and the song... Time to number one on the Billboard Top Latin Song Chart. And to clarify, Lavanda Blanca was not Garifuna and not Black. Punta got whitewashed.
2: From that point on, Ladinos started dancing Punta because they saw their own people doing it. Wow. So now they could do it. Right. But before, when it was only the Garifuna people, it was something that was associated with negative and negative um, uh, stigma. So now that after La Vanda Blanca and then they were on TV and they were all over the place, all over the world. Now the Latinos want to do it. And what is the, the phenomenon that is happening now is that all of a sudden La Punta, the dance, is the national dance in Honduras. It has been adopted, as a co-opted where it has been adopted as the national dance. And now the Latinos are the ones who want to dance punta. Yes.
5: That that is fascinating history. I just wonder, what are your takeaways from that story? What do you think, as someone who's it's original to your culture. Are you glad that it's being accepted more widely? What no, do you think? No, I cannot
2: be glad that it's being more accepted because the word is not accepted, it's co-opted. Because mm-hmm. if it was accepted, they will also understand the experiences of the people who originated the dance. But it's unfortunate that the only thing that is being done is to co-opt the the good part of the, the the emotion, the joy that they feel by dancing, but they want absolutely nothing to do with the experience of the, of the people who are the originators of this dance. And I know that because most of the people who are marginalized, continue to be marginalized in the country, are the Garifuna people. And still to this day, the education system has not yet adapted a curriculum that represents this history of Garifuna people from a dignified perspective.
5: So how can you embrace the dance without understanding the history that created it
2: that is the question right
3: we got to take a break coming up nodia Mina moves to the united states and wrestles with what it does and does not mean for her to be part of a latin american diaspora stay with us
5: Hi, everyone. My name is Rahima, and I help produce the show. I want to remind you that if you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Here's how. First, you can email us. The address is notes at WNYC.org. Second, you can send us a voice message. Go to notesfromamerica.org and click on the green button that says start recording. Finally, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram. The handle for both is noteswithkai. Kai. However you want to reach us, we'd love to hear from you and maybe use your message on the show. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon.
4: At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry.
1: But but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories, stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs.
4: <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers.
1: And hopefully make you see the world anew.
4: Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know.
1: Wherever you get your podcasts.
3: It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. We've been talking all summer about what it means to consider yourself part of some kind of diaspora. And this week, our producer, Regina Deheer, is talking with someone whose experience with diaspora and with identity inside it is a bit more complicated. Nodia Mina is a professor at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. She's of Garifuna descent and grew up in Honduras. So to many people in the U.S., she's part of the Latin American diaspora, or even Afro-Latina. But she is not so sure either of those things are true.
2: Growing up, I internalized a lot mm-hmm. the ways in which I was excluded from spaces that um where I thought that I did not belong. So I internalized the sense that my culture was less than. Now as uh, growing up, then, I started to realize that being in the spaces with members of my community were the places where I felt whole. Mm. That was the moment at which I felt the most joyful.
5: I'm curious to hear more about your life as a up person versus your life as a Honduran person. Did you see them as separate? And is that a common experience for up people?
2: Absolutely. It's an it's a everyday conversation that I have with people that I know and who have come to that level of consciousness of understanding, right, what is going on, because not everyone really understands what is happening. It stems, of course, from um, this legacy of racism, right? Um, the association of everything that is negative towards black bodies and uh, the effort. That has existed in the region in Latin America, for example, um, to lump us all, meaning Black, Indigenous, and Europeans into one and creating this idea of mestizaje, which means that we are all mixed and there is no reason for making any distinctions because the more effort we make in establishing distinctions, then the more conflict it creates, which is so erroneous in from, from so many different levels because by trying to lump us into one, that's the conflict. Yeah. From the gecko, right? That is the conflict because you are dismissing my heterogeneity. You are dismissing my individuality. You're dismissing my humanity by trying to make me feel like I am like someone else and not appreciating the ways in which I am different and the ways in which I am unique. So it has been a very systematic effort because, first of all, in the education system, for example, in schools, like I said before, we did not learn anything about our cultural background, and but we did learn about the Latinos or the Ladinos background, right? Mm-hmm. That's the predominant culture. So that is the dominant culture.
5: Yeah, so that's the dominant culture in Latin America. But part of your story takes place here in the U.S., You first moved to New York before relocating to North Carolina. What was that shift like?
2: There was a cultural shock for me when I moved to North Carolina because uh, as a Garifuna woman who I'm not only black, I'm not only from Latin America, but now I am from this particular ethnic group who no one one knows anything about. (laughs) So, and in many different ways, one thing that I missed a lot was um, a community where I could feel that I was part of, like, I felt like I didn't belong for for too long in North Carolina. And then I realized that um, I was able to create community here with the Black community more than with the Latino community, right? Because what continues to happen in this side of the world with the Latino communities, those who are not Black continue to associate themselves mainly with whiteness uh, rather than trying to create community with Afro descendants from the same country. So although we speak the same language, it is it continues to be difficult mm-hmm. to create meaningful connections um, in the Latino community who's not Black and the one that it is.
5: Yeah. And... In the past few years here in the U.S. and I'm sure globally, there seems to be a distinct conversation about um, Black Latin Americans or Afro-Latinos. With your history, you have complicated feelings about identifying with that title. Can you tell me about that?
2: The issue that I find with identifying mainly as Afro-Latina is that I see it as another effort at lumping everyone who is Black in Latin America into one identity and completely dismissing our unique cultural background. And our um, we, we have many cultural differences. Uh, because for one, when you think about a Latina, Afro-Latina from Brazil, for one, we don't speak the same language. We don't have the same story. We don't have the same experiences. And a Black Latina in Colombia, for example, also had different experiences with a Garifuna woman. I was in Cuba, and for me, it was a shocker to get to an airport and, and see Black people speaking Spanish who were in charge. That does not happen in Honduras. Wow. You get to the airport in Honduras, and if you see one Garifuna person working, not even, listen, not even to sweep the floors are we higher in, in those areas. So for me, when I when I went to that region, when I was in Cuba, and I saw that, and I'm like, dang, yes, we can do this in Latin America.
5: I want to come back to dance. You talked about La Banda Blanca and their appropriation of punta dancing. You know, this inquiry started because I just became a licensed Zumba instructor. And to be honest, I have complicated feelings about it because the main cornerstones of of Zumba are salsa, merengue, reggaeton, and cumbia. And these are very distinct to Latin America. They have rich histories. Um... And I am not Latino at all. So I wonder what your reaction is to that. Do, you, what do What would you say to someone like me who's trying to figure out my place and what's the difference between appreciation and appropriation?
2: People in a particular place are exposed to a more diverse culture. I think that there is a tendency to want to have the desire of understanding more and being involved more and engaging more with cultures that is different than yours, right? So um, if that is what is happening, I um, I applaud the person who brings their bodies into spaces to engage with cultures that they're not familiar with because I see it as a step into trying to understand more. That's the way I see it. And listen, this is a very important question because appreciation has to be unpacked, right? Like... What, what are you appreciating, right? Are you appreciating the way in which a body moves and what kind of effect does that have in you? Um, are you appreciating the history that comes with the movement? Are you appreciating the history? Are you appreciating the current state of that particular group? So what what is it that you appreciate? I think we have to be more um, complex about understanding what the appreciation is. Mm-hmm. Um, It's not an answer that could be a yes, no. Uh, it's, It's about understanding deeply, you know, what is going on.
5: I really do strive to understand more about and be engaged more in different cultures, even if I don't always get it exactly right. Because as Nadia points out, there's a blurry line between appreciation and appropriation. And so, I'm excited to continue on this pursuit of learning more about the nuances and complexities of our identities. And I'm excited to continue to deepen rather than flatten our ideas of culture in general.
3: Well said, Regina. And with that context, let us get back to appreciating and learning about some of our listeners' own experiences in diaspora. You're gonna share with us a final sampling of listener submissions to the Notes from America summer playlist, yeah?
5: Let's do it. And I'll start with someone who does identify as Afro-Latina.
0: I'm Natalia, and I'm from Brazil. So I just moved to New York City because I'm doing my master's at Columbia. I came all the way from Sao Paulo to here. And it means the world to me because I mean, I'm a black person and my grandpa and my grandma barely went to school and my father and my mom had to fight a lot to get their degree. And I mean, I, I got to go to a great university in Brazil and now I'm here studying in Colombia in one of the best journalism schools in, on earth. So, yeah, it's, it's a dream. It's a dream. So when I was flying here to New York, I was listening to this song from Beyonce. It's called Bigger. It's from her album, On the Lion King. And it's a song about how we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And it's a song that moves me a lot. Like she's she's talking about a legacy in terms of family, but it, it touches me in this point of how the way we interact with the world by being a journalist is something that leaves a legacy for other people. I really love this song, it's beautiful. Her voice is super powerful. You got my blood in you, you're gonna you're so that would be my song, and I've listened to that in other different times for me. In Brazil, when I was, I don't know, doubting myself, I would listen to that song to get myself together.
4: My name is Danny and I am the child of immigrants from Lebanon. Um, So I'm a first generation American. I grew up uh, just south of Boston, Massachusetts. I think a lot of us in in the generation that I'm in really thought of 9-11 as a very defining moment. Obviously, you know, It was an incredibly tragic and horrific event. I think the aftermath of it, too, really impacted our communities in terms of just, you know, sort of racism toward um, Arab Americans. And so I think a lot of us collectively felt really shaped by the response of uh, 9-11 and still face that. I think we still face a lot of those things. The monks, the Arab diaspora and probably the Arabs in general, but I know for sure amongst the diaspora, we always joke that it's like the same, you know, four to five songs that are played at every single Arab wedding. And so one song that I always think of at any Arab wedding, almost without fail, um, is "Nur Al Ain by Amr Diab.
3: <laughs>
4: Amr Diab is just an iconic Egyptian singer. Um, he's been around for the last... Forty years or so, and Nour Al was his big, big, big pop hit um, in the '90s, and it still gets played at every Arab wedding. It still gets played at big family functions, what have you. Um, it's it's a place of Good vibes. It's a song of good vibes. It's a song that that brings back nostalgia um, and things like that.
2: Hi,
1: my name is Scott. I'm from Portland, Oregon. I'm not exactly certain that this is what you had in mind, but I consider myself um, part of the diaspora of Ireland. I'm Irish by ethnicity and um, I like the song Zombie when I think about the fact that, at least partially, my homeland, my family's homeland, my ancestors' homeland, is still partially colonized, and Zombie just completely embodies that um, story. It's by the Cranberries, of course, and it's probably the best grunge song that was ever made. Thank you.
3: Scott, yes, that is exactly what we have in mind. So thank you for that submission. But I have to say, one thing we didn't have in mind at the start of this project is those of us who consider ourselves part of some kind of diaspora inside the United States. So like me, for instance, I have always understood my identity as part of what's called the Great Migration, this movement of Black Americans from the South to the North. My grandparents were part of that migration, and though I... I'm not actually Southern. I grew up in the Midwest. I've still always felt that their Black Southern culture is somehow part of my own identity.
5: Wow. So, Kai, you understand what it's like straddling two cultures, too.
3: Yeah, I do.
5: Well, now I have to ask, what song do you want to add to the playlist?
3: I have given it some thought, I'll be honest, and I'm going to go with <laughs> Gladys Knight and the Pips' Midnight Train to Georgia. He's made- Georgia. Which is, of course, a song about chasing a man. But still, I have always also heard in it that bit of yearning to reclaim or rediscover something you or your family left behind.
5: You're not alone in this thought at all. We did get a couple submissions from listeners who also took the prompt to think about their place in a diaspora within the United States. So maybe this can be our last submission.
1: Hi, my name is Coop and I'm calling from Nacogdoches in the Piney Woods of East Texas. The song I'd like to contribute for the American Diaspora Project is That's Right, You're Not From Texas by Lyle Lovett. My mom and her whole family was born in Texas, and so uh, it felt like a cruel twist of fate at first when I was born in New Jersey, and my parents divorced and we moved back to Texas at an early age. And so in my family, we joke that if you're from north of I-10 in Houston, you're a Yankee. So I was especially considered Yankee. Um, but being that we were from the Houston area and my family's country music fans, I also listened to a lot of why I it growing up. And when I heard the song, That's Right, You're Not From Texas, which is about uh, just being a Texan, even if you aren't, it made me feel a lot better about myself because I've always considered myself a Texan. Thank you. That's right, you're not from Texas. That's right, you're not from
0: Texas. Texas won't you anyway. That's right, you're not from Texas. That's right, you not from Texas. That's right, you not from Texas.
5: And with that, you can now listen to the completed playlist on Spotify. Just go to wnyc.org slash playlist to stream it. The songs are hits all year round. We hope you enjoy. And thank you, thank you, thank you to those who were a part of this project. It's been a blast getting to know some of you better through your submissions.
3: And we're going to continue this conversation with you about our many different intersecting and overlapping, and sometimes even conflicting identities. This word identity, it has obviously become polarizing in the larger political conversation. But we are all shaped as individuals by all kinds of larger social and cultural forces. They're just part of our stories, for better, sometimes for worse. And when we share any part of those stories, it's an intimacy. And it's one that, as Regina said earlier— helps us deepen our understanding of this wildly diverse country that we all share. So stay tuned, we'll be back to you in the fall with another exercise just like this one, and a hearty thank you to all who have participated in this and in our ongoing effort to just foster community and conversation here on this show. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. We love to hear from you. So if you heard anything that sparks a thought or a question, do hit us up. Go to notesfromamerica.org. Look for the little green record button. You can leave us a voice note right there. Just be sure to include at least your first name and where you're located. Mixing and theme music by Jared Paul. The Notes from America team also includes Karen Froman, Regina Deheer, Rahima Nasa, Kushan Abadar, David Norville, and Lindsay Foster Thomas. Andre Robert Lee is our executive producer, and I am Kai Wright. Thanks for listening.